Hey everybody, it's Will, and I just wanted to let you know on this podcast, we had some audio issues. I cleaned it up as best I could. We're going to have Kyle back on the show here real soon, so uh, don't fear. We'll be able to get the answers to everything that uh, that he said. So with that, here is the Peppers Podcast. It's the Peppers Podcast, a talk with business owners, politicians, and musicians about how they got to where they are and what the future holds for these local businesses. And now, from the Pantheon, Will Peppers. All right, and we are here with Kyle Bledsoe. Is that correct? Is that how you say your name? That's it. And uh, we are back here on the Peppers Podcast from the Pantheon here in Vincennes, Indiana. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Kyle Bledsoe. Um, split, three kids, married, good, the good life. Owner of uh, Enhancer Craft and EYC Drones. So where I'm at. Awesome. Uh, what uh, what do you do with your business, uh, Enhancer Craft? What uh, what do you do with that? Enhancer Craft is a uh, fabrication shop, job shop, 3D printing. All things fabrication. Every widget, gadget, gadget out there had to be made at some point. So that's what we do. It's kind of a small job shop. Awesome. And uh, from the uh, drone side? Uh, EYC Drones is kind of the newest and biggest project, but it's it's slow going right now. We're working with um, a couple agricultural companies on trailers for drone spraying applications. Nice. That's the long, the long game, the EYC drone. Awesome. Is that um, where you are flying drones for them, or are you building drones? Or uh, Right now it'll be service for their drones and uh, support equipment. Far, far future is building drones. Mm-hmm. Right now they, they, they have drones. They don't have all the stuff to make them fly, so that's where I come in. Oh, awesome. So you, you fabricate different parts for them to get them operational then? Uh, right now, it'll be a support trailer that we're working on um, through the agricultural side. They they have the drones, but they don't have any way to refill, charge. Drones and agricultural uses is kind of a emerging technology. Everybody goes and buys the, the tool, but doesn't buy the batteries and the drill bits for it. So. The stuff that actually keeps it running after you... Correct. It, crash it the first time. <laughs> uh, so uh, where are you from? Uh, originally from Illinois. Uh, migrated to Indiana when I was probably 12 years old with my parents. And lived in Indiana ever since. Awesome. Uh, what uh, education do you have? Um, really just high school. And after that, I didn't have any other college or anything else. I was um, lucky to get through high school. So I figured college was probably not in my uh, in my wheelhouse. Everything from there on just kind of been either self-taught or absorbed it through osmosis. Awesome. Um, where, uh, for most of what you've learned, where have you acquired that? Like, has it been mostly on the job, or is it stuff that you've gone after? Like, you've gone on the internet and researched what to do. It kind of varies. I've been about the last fifteen the last fifteen years. I've been. Manufacturing side, CNC machining, 
parts for aerospace applications. That's kind of where I got my machining background. Before that, I owned a powder coat company and did military coatings, different parts for a naval base, things like that. Before that, I worked at a processing factory. Everything I've kind of learned has been hands-on, and I'm one of those curious guys that looks at something and is like, well, I need to figure out how to do that, whether it be through YouTube U or the good old Googles or whatever. So Yeah, it's amazing how easy it how much easier it is to do that to be self-taught with uh, all the information that's available to you out there what's your uh what are your hobbies what's your favorite stuff to do uh really just fishing is kind of the only hobby that i got away from everything else as far as work goes we live right on the river so it's easy for me to just jump on a boat be on the river and fish used to have every hobby under the sun hunting fishing four-wheelers race cars all that stuff but children progress those those all got checked off the list so. pushed to the side and pushed stuff side, yeah. so really just fishing's it i guess drones is kind of my second hobby but hobby or business so that's why i don't call it my hobby anymore yeah, that's true that it's it's nice that you can you can transform transform something that was your hobby into a business and hopefully uh have a little bit more fun with what you're doing to make money yeah yeah um how did you uh how did you get started in the drones um, it was, I've always been into RC forever. I think when I was like 11 years old or 12 years old, I remember actually, you know, mailing a check to a catalog, you know, through a catalog. The kids nowadays don't even know that it was an actual thing. And I wore yeah. like, a, a, a like an RC glider. So I've always kind of been an aviation nerd into RC and things like that. And I was just fascinated with RC airplanes. Always liked RC helicopters, but I was a terrible pilot really expensive so wouldn't allowed to crash any wouldn't allowed to buy any yeah i uh i fell into the trap of ordering a one of the planes the um line controlled plane yeah yep box motor on oh it. yeah yeah it was just horrible the little motor wasn't i i found out later that the motor was was not built correctly and so i got just this little knockoff that i worked on it for hours for for a summer just trying to get the thing to work and i could not get it to run whatsoever so disappointed i'd saved my money up for so long to, to get that thing and that kind of soured me on the whole thing if i can't get something because i looked at that as kind of like a little introductory thing and if i couldn't get that to work then yeah oh yeah i was i was already in over my head at that point so i wasn't gonna about to spend more money on uh on another thing and and get roped in even deeper so I've always been fascinated by it, though. Uh, my illustrious career of fixed wing, very first fixed wing regular RC airplane ever built. I, you know, I had an instructor because nitro, you know, motor, oh, yeah. high wing trainer. But guys, like, oh, wait for me to get there before you fly it because we got to trim it and all that. And I was like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I took that home in a trash bag. That <laughs> kind of ended my my career of that. So later in life, then I was just stuck with RC cars because they don't fall out of the sky too often. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot less, a um, lot, lot of less uh, risk when you have a car because it's sitting there on the ground. You can run it into something, sure, but oh, a yeah, yeah. lot, lot uh, easier landing usually for those kind of things. What? Uh, how'd you get started with the uh, with the CNC business? Um, it actually, kind of spawned from when I had my paint and powder coat shop. There was a local. There was another company I was dealing with that was doing training in the machining, and I was always wanting to make parts for 
whatever project I had at the time, and that's when I just learned, like, well, I just need to figure out how to make parts myself instead of letting someone else do it, because trying to convince somebody to make you some fancy bracket for your race car at the time, and they don't want to mess with it, so then it's like, well, I'll just figure out how to do it myself, and that career started, and then I ended up selling that that paint powder coat shop to another guy, and honestly looking for another job, and there was a machine shop that was hired, and I started working there, no degree, a little, you know, enough enough CNC background to make me dangerous, you know, enough to do what some things were and started and just kind of self-taught over the course of the years and self-proclaimed four-year degrees would probably already be. Mm-hmm. Is that a, was that a deal where you went in and said, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing, and he gave you the job, or did you say, I can learn? Uh, no, I pretty much will told him, I was like, man, I can push buttons, I can follow instructions. Mm-hmm. Don't expect me to just come in here and point at something and just turn me loose, you know. I, I do like to pride myself on usually operate off minimal instruction. I don't need a if I get hired to do a task or whatever, I can just give me the basics and I'll take it from there. So no, I didn't I didn't overpromise myself. I learned from a pretty early age, don't that mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've found both both ways. I've had bosses who I come on to a job and and he was just like, All right, you know what to do, right? I was like, well I mean, I got the general idea, but what exactly are you wanting to happen right here? And and some people, if, if you can't just pick up and run right away, they're like, well, I can't use you. And I'm like, well, no, I can get there. I mean, this is three days after starting. He expected me to know how to how to take a machine down completely. And I, I knew the big parts, but it, you know, it was this certain machine. There was a certain way to take it apart, and he just didn't want to show me how to do it. And I'm like, well, okay, cool. You know, when you hired me, you, I told you I need a little bit of training, and you were fine with that. Now you're not willing to. So it's uh, it's interesting how some people can pick up, and and I've seen other people that work there that was just like, no, this is how you do it, and cool. I I didn't didn't figure that out that quick, but and then I've had other bosses who I it was jobs that I could go in, and I knew exactly what I was doing. But they still wanted to sit there and, and walk you through step by step. This is exactly what you need to do, which sometimes is good for a relearning course. But sometimes it also holds you back. So it's uh, all kinds of people out there, I guess. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, when you were starting up your businesses, um, what were some of the biggest issues that you faced getting started? Really, just location, equipment, startup capital. I guess really, you know, we wrapped everything coffee shop side, you know, Rachel's deal, we started from nothing. Fabrication side, you know, you start in on fabrication, you kind of need, you know, you can, of course, carpenters will argue with me, but, you know, you're sawing a hammer and you can start doing carpentry work, but machining, you really need a mill and a lathe, and, a, and some of those are pretty pricey equipment. You know, yeah. Loan was $7,500. That was an older, used. Not something you can pick up at Lowe's real quick. Correct. Not going to go to Lowe's and get it. So luckily, I had a lot of the equipment at home. Location, finding a dual-purpose building, we kind of lucked into where we were at. Yeah, we had Rachel on an earlier podcast, which uh, she she explained that you it fit perfectly for you because the one side is the coffee shop and the other side is is your shop with the metalwork and the fabrication. And uh, been there a couple of times. It's wonderful, wonderfully designed for what you're doing there. The nice dual-purpose area. What issues have you faced with your the drone side of the business? Uh, really, just right now, the drone side is 
we're just taking it slow because like I said, it is the is the big picture. Um, the issues are it's just an emerging technology. Everybody has the camera drones, the toy drones, all that, but as far as like commercial realistic approach to what can that drone do, waiting on waiting on a you know, adaptation. What what sectors are they gonna actually be using? Yeah, I've uh I've kind of followed a little bit of the drone space, and it's amazing how, well, you know, we've all heard that Amazon and Walmart and these other big box companies are trying to use drones for delivery services and stuff. And I've heard a lot of the issues is the FAA is like, yeah, but, you know, we control the airspace. And, yeah, you know, I I hear that argument. I understand what the argument is, but, you know, I think they'd have a little bit more of a a stance if we had flying cars everywhere but with the with us not having stuff flying all over the place i don't see that as as much of an issue as they make it out to be well and that's what the faa is trying to do now is carve out that airspace for you know unmanned aerial vehicles there's you know you can get a whole whole discussion on the faa but they have a lot of the rules now are for small aircraft so you have to get a lot of exemptions. So basically, if you are a drone, you have to have these exemption forms and all this stuff. So what they're trying to do now is actually car- write rules and carve out a space in the air for for drone technology. Is there any licensing that you need to get for, for what you're doing now, or is that more higher-end drones versus... Not necessarily. If you if you do anything with a drone commercially, you have to have what's called a, a Part One Hundred Seven. Is basically you're just pilot's license with a bunch of exemptions. So if you take you take your DJI drone that you bought at Best Buy and want to take real estate pictures or pictures of property or whatever, and if you commercially take any money for that, you have to quote unquote you're supposed to have your what's called One Hundred Seven drones pilot's license. It's not super hard to get. It's basic information. It's just like any other government issued thing. It's just different hoops and paperwork and all that. Now, if you start getting into heavier drones, that's anything under 150 grand. But like the big commercial spray drone, you have to have your 107. You have to have an Indiana chemist license for spraying applications. You have to have a class two airman's. There's another one, but I, I'm not it, so I don't remember. But uh, there is a lot of different licensing that you have. Are those just paper tests, or do you actually have to go out and demonstrate you can fly a drone? Once you get through all your paper tests, you have to, like, the FAA will have actually send a representative, and you have to demonstrate to them that you're capable of flying it. They don't even know what they're looking at either, so. Yeah. A lot of the tests be like, form a an engine out landing well in a drone the glide slope of a drone is about like the glide slope of a rock yeah props quit they do too and that's just the so more or less you just take off fly around land it i'm working to get all those things but it's not high on my priority list because i don't i don't plan on flying drones for other people i plan on fabricating and making making yeah that's awesome what are the current issues that you face today with with uh, everything that's going on? I mean, I know there's a lot of um, problems with getting things shipped to you and 
and uh, availability of, of stuff. Is that, ha has that had a big effect with what you do? Yeah. Um, more on the fabrication side, it's just cost of materials. You got to watch. You really got to pay attention when you quote a job. Someone wants stands or a bracket built. You really got to watch your material because the price fluctuates so bad. Really just supply chain issues are always a problem. Right now, the electronic side, microchip shortage, and there's been a microchip shortage two years now since the good old COVIDs. Yep. But um, a lot of your flight controllers and just components are just so like ridiculously far out. They used to measure it in days, and then it turned to weeks, and now it's literally measured in years, some of the components. But once again, luckily, we don't, don't deal a lot of the electronics. I just see it in the industry. Associated with it, not necessarily having to deal with it. Have you been able to source any of those parts here in the U.S., or do you usually have to go over to, like, foreign nations, China, Mexico? Yeah, most of your electronic components, depending on what it is, it's got to come from China. Because the electronic, you know, components that are assembled in America are really, really expensive. They're just such a finest flood of the market with all the electronics and stuff. So you haven't had... There are, like, American material suppliers. Yeah, I'll just use them. It's way easier, but on the electronics side, nobody. I know there's there's a, quite a few companies that are trying to pick up the slack there and move forward. I didn't know if drone technology was a new enough um, technology that they have been able to bootstrap it or if you're still dependent on... Because, I mean, I know a lot of the components are still going to be just basic computer components that you get from China, but... I didn't know if there was any anybody trying to lead the way here in the U.S. with anything like that. There's, I mean, there are some companies, you know, U.S. U.S. built products. That's the nice thing about a drone. I mean, it's just a machine, so you can you can adapt components from to it. So there are several U.S. based manufacturers that are just your price your, point. Yeah, price point, but you're like yours. All your what toys at the store aren't made in China, but kind of what I would consider consumer level drone or consumer level electronic like that. It's what changes would you like to see here in the uh, local market that would be able to help you out? Really, on a local basis, just connectivity, talking to people, knowing what easier just tell people easily what I do. Sometimes it's a train wreck when I tell everybody what I do, but as far as like the fabrication side, you know, these are the services I can offer. This is what I can build. You have a whole part of enhance your craft is if you have a company that makes a product or if they have a machine line or something that like, hey, if we just had this one thing built or this one thing changed, you know, that's where I would come in. You know, we can build, help you make a better product. So craft kind of. You talked about your um, uh, lathes and, and the metal side, but you also have the additive side, correct? Yeah, I also do additive manufacturing, which is just, I guess, the, the commercial word for 3D printing. Do several printers. It just kind of goes hand in hand. Anymore, do any kind of prototype work, or even with drones, the 3D printing is right there. It's kind of where 10 years ago it was, you know, its own creature and not very well adapted by a lot of companies. It's, it's everywhere. Do you do a lot of the additive um, 
manufacturing? Have you had a lot of demand for that? Or is it more on the metal side? It's more on the metal side right now because this also with additive manufacturing is just letting people know what it's capable of. It's something people don't think of. Like, oh, we could 3D print a part to do this or whatever. Uh, yeah, we we have done several 3D print jobs in the past for people uh, trying to like convey to people what, what 3D printers can do and what they can't. That's you know, I tell people too, it's like, yeah, you can 3D print anything, but it might not be the best option, you know, the best option the best, for what yeah, you need. Correct. Yeah. It may be like conventional injection molding may be the route to go. Injection molding getting a mold made can be very expensive. Where that's kind of where the three D printers shine. You don't have to have any kind of special tooling to print something. You just print. Yeah, but the, it, it there's a uh, with the injection molding. That's a very quick process, and the additive manu manufacturing it takes a while, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very. It, it, it does take a while. There's also a lot of post processing too on that as well. Because once once it pops off the build plate. Sometimes it's done, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you have to take off supports, you got to sand plastic down, sometimes you got to paint it. So, I mean, sometimes there's still work that has to be done to the part. What are the variety of materials that you can use for additive manufacturing? Really, I... And, well, that's kind of a two-part. What, what are available out there, and what do you primarily work with? Really about any kind of... Plastic is out there. Um, there's resin based. There's flexible called TPU nylons. There's carbon embedded filaments. There's there's a whole slew of them out there. They all have their certain aspect that they're better at than others. I just try to you know, especially for prototyping, just stick with what's called a PLA. It's you know, it's not super heat. It's just a it's an inexpensive plastic. It prints quick. So if you're just wanting for this one-off, something to hold in your hand, something to make sure it fits a part, it's really good for that. It's not heat-resistant. Put it in a hot car in the summertime, and it'll melt. So I don't recommend making keychains out of it. Um, then you step up to what's called um, ETG, which is a little different chemistry. It's more heat-resistant, a little stronger, but it prints a little differently. It's kind of more finicky. Like ABSs, they have to be held in like a, a chamber to maintain a certain temp because they have a real, a real bad problem with shrinkage. Once you start printing a part, like if you print a real tall part, it'll start wanting to shrink as it goes. So it's, a lot of, it's not the most conventionally accurate. I primarily just stick with PLA for now because I don't. If I'm doing something functional, I'll use ETG, but I don't. I don't get in all the crazy high end. Is that something you're looking to get into as as you go on or or are you looking to just stay where you're at right now? Probably just stay where I'm at right now, but once we start some of the drone components will probably step up to either a nylon or carbon, you know, carbon impregnated, something like that. But it's just once we'll cross that, you know, once once the need is there, then we'll address it. Is that, is that a different machine you would have to upgrade to, or is it just different materials that you feed in the machines you currently have? It's kind of kind of both. I mean, you can you can just get different material, but some of them extrude at a lot higher temperature. So some of your lower end, 
3D printers will only go up to like 240C, 250C, where some of these these real crazy uh, filaments can go, you know, 500C, 600C, so hot end thing. A lot of them you can just throw in the machine and go, but you might have to work at it a little bit harder to get it right. What uh, what are some projects that you've done with additive manufacturing that people may have recognized? Is there anything out there that that uh, here locally we've had we did a job for a for Parks where a cover off of a lamp post that was made back in like the twenties covers got stolen. Well, that company has been long gone. You know those things were made almost a hundred years ago, so that's there's no spare parts for those. So we were able to measure one of the covers that they still had, draw it in the computer and 3D print a replacement cover. That way it wasn't made out of a metal to where if they wanted to steal it again for scrap, it's just kind of worthless plastic now. Kind of a, just a quick fix. Get a cover over the electrical wires or whatever. So that's the one you you know walk by, still drive by every now and look over and go, hey, the plastic cover's still on there. So... That's kind of one of the major things. Other than that, it's just been little one-off prototypes for people, things I've made and sold. How long did it take to uh, to print that cover? I think all in all, it was about hours. Print one cover. How how about how big was it? Uh, it was probably about eight to ten inches wide, and then probably about fourteen inches tall. So we were we actually had sliced. We actually drew the part, and then then. CAD cut it in half and then had it sitting on the build plate next to each other. So as it, once it come off the printer, it was actually in two halves, designed, interlocked together, halves where we epoxied it together, sped up the process a little bit. Cool. What, uh, was it just one or did you have many to make? I think we ended up making close to 55 or 60 of them. So it was quite a bit. Oh, wow. Uh, we've got, six or seven printers had definitely a small farm of them of course some people have printer farms with 30 40 100 and so you know what's the craziest thing you have been able to make with additive manufacturing the thing that always surprises me still is like bearings and gearboxes because you can print off a roller bearing pop it off the build plate and it spins course to me it's it's just fascinating but when you think about the spacing and tolerance inside of it and everything else it's that it's just the one thing that always makes me go well, that's kind of cool yeah like roller bearing that's cool I, I, it's amazing how you can make something that that spins or moves and like you said you just pull it right off and it and it works immediately right or is there is there any any uh manufacturing to put it together or is it ready no, to spin pop it off the build plate and kind of move it around a little bit it might be a little sticky but it'll move yeah you look like planetary gear things you know pop them off the plates or spin they don't fall out wow fidget toy yeah almost like almost getting to the uh star trek version of uh, a replicator or whatnot oh, yeah yeah and that's one of these days, that's where we'll be. I mean, they've got 3D printers with chocolate and porcelain. and I think I saw one that printed concrete, and they were actually making houses. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Big giant gantry pile machines just concrete out. Crazy what they can do nowadays. Oh yeah. yeah. What changes would you need to see for your um, drone business to going forward? Is that just more of a information deal or is is that um is that an education? Uh, it's really for it to go forward. It's just going to have to, like, like I said, commercial adaptations. It's gonna have to come up with a company that says, "Hey, we want to get a drone that does this." Right now, a lot of drones, like drones, drone companies out there, will sell you drone. Well, our our drone does five hundred things. Well, we just want a company. To, no, we don't. We don't want it to do. We just want it to do one thing and one thing well. Where we're at. That's cool. Um, how many companies are you working with with the drone technology? Right now, just two. Um, there's a supplier out of Iowa that we're kind of working together with to make some components for like accessories for that drone. Big commercial, big commercial ag drone. The farm chemical applicator right now that we're about building. Basically, a support trailer for those. On the uh, metal side, what uh, what are some of the jobs that you've done in the area that people may recognize? Um, there's not anything really kind of out in the the view of the public. I mean, we've been just working with some of the local companies, like bigger bigger manufacturers. Like right now, for some reason, display stands is kind of what I've making the most of like a company has they make sinks and they need a way to display their sinks in showrooms and trade shows and things like that so we've came up with a square tubing stand for them and of them got a countertop company wants these folding legs for their show booth all right we have Kyle Bledsoe here and we will be right back Frank's Restaurant in Vincennes, Indiana is the best in fresh-made food. Located at 508 Main Street on the historic 1st Main Street of Indiana, Frank's offers a unique dining experience with delicious food. Open Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and open the first Friday of every month from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. for the first Friday at Frank's. A dining experience mixed with local artists. Great for getting to know what the local area has available. Frank's, try something different. Okay, and we are back with Kyle Bledsoe. With the manufacturing side of things, what are what are some of the projects? What what can you tackle? Um, in all honesty, I just tell people, I mean, short of anything, there's definitely things that are in our wheelhouse. Not a big fan of sheet metal, like any kind of like formed or stamped sheet metal. I just try to stray away from. Do like welding, general machine that nature and it's kind of hard to describe to people what we can do i mean there's the display stands which is basically weld together square tubing bolt machine something with threads on it so if you have some crazy idea to hold a laptop to a wall with some moving bracket we can make that do you combine the two jobs like with your additive and your um and the manufacturing part, are you, like, 
do you build scale models with the additive manufacturing and then are you able to demonstrate without having to go through a full size thing? Is that is that something that you're able to do? Actually, yeah, that is something we're able to do. We're actually uh, working on a project now with a trailer. We're going to 3D print it scale. That way you can hold it in your hand and look at it and spin it around. So you can look at PowerPoints and drawings on a screen all day long, but until you can hold it in your hand and feel it, Carries a lot of weight when you're doing a presentation or when you get a project approved, that nature. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I've found for myself um, that'll keep me from ordering stuff online. Like I will not order clothes online because I have to see it first, and I, I'm not big on shipping stuff back. You know, I'm not going to get a whole bunch of clothes and then ship stuff back. If I get something wrong, I'm probably just going to keep it. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not big on on doing that. But if it's uh, it's a solid object i know the dimensions then okay yeah if i'm ordering a microphone i know what i'm getting with that microphone so i'm okay to order it online but um i i think that would really i i would really like that as a customer to be able to see what i'm going to be like you said have it in your hand even if it is a smaller scale you still get a better idea of what it's going to be like when when it blows up when it when it gets bigger and, and in the final projects in your hand how many projects with additive manufacturing have you done here lately um not honestly lately it's the the additive side has been really quiet and now that we're doing a lot of general welding fabrication of that sort kind of like it's never even across the board it's either feast or famine on one or the other like so the, the additive manufacturing has been kind of quiet here lately do you think that's more of a a product of people not knowing the things that you're able to do? Or do you think that may be kind of a marketing thing where you need to let them know, hey, I'm I'm here with this with this ability to make what you need? I think it comes down to just people realizing a real world use for it. Cause that's you know, yeah, I've three D printed toys. I don't like to because then it just gives you the that notoriety of all you'd make is toys. I that's why that's why you know professionals aspect of three D printing they call it additive manufacturing where it's toys. So getting people to understand the usefulness. Um, if they just like I said they come up with an idea or see something, be three D printed. Draw on the computer. It's three D printed. What what would the cost be? If I needed something manufactured, say, not not very big, you know, maybe three inches tall, a small small thing like that, um, what what would be a very general cost of that? 3D parent filament itself is cheap, very inexpensive. So if you wanted like a, let's say if you wanted a, just a Rubik's Cube, the outside of it, you're probably looking at 50 cents in filament. Where your cost comes in is, if a solid model doesn't exist, you have to go in and design that in in the computer. There's there's a lot of like time. Um, material cost is really relatively inexpensive in PLA. Now, granted, some of the carbons and stuff like that definitely going to get way more expensive. Where a roll of PLA right now is, runs about. Twenty dollars. Uh, good carbon is about two hundred and fifty. It's you know it's a 
definite 34, you know, X. Yeah, but that when you go with a carbon, you're looking at a much different, um, possibly looking for a much different use. Rather. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So in other words, you print you, you print your Rubik's cube out of PLA for pennies. Verify the fit, form, and function. Like, yep, this is what I want. All your design work's been that's done. It, that's why it's when you have a product made. A lot of people get sticker shock because, like, well, you know. You said the material would be five dollars. Yeah, but my time yeah. gets you to this point. Now, if you want ten more of these, it will be cheap. But to get to that very first prototype, it does cost. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know if that would be an option for people who are looking to go and and have something manufactured, but they didn't have a way to visualize it. Like you said, something to hold in their hand. If that would be an ability that you would be able to provide for them that they could have you make up a mock-up and then you know they could either run from there with their end or they could show it to possible inventor or investors that this is what I'm looking at doing here's kind of an idea and and go from there yeah like i said if you you know if you're an inventor at home and i can make anything with handle molds if uh once i we talked about this a little bit earlier um when you took the plate for the light cover off. What all did you have to do to it to finish it off? The the post-processing on it was we just basically popped it off the build plate. We had to cut two aluminum tabs, just a piece of aluminum bar stock to if it was epoxied in joining teeth. So we epoxied it together, the epoxy would set, we sand down that seam line and then I give the whole part of rough DA sanding and then just off with a flat black primer. That's what they wanted. Um, they looked pretty good, just being the shiny plastic, but with the 3D printing, it's kind of shiny where they wanted that dull matte finish. Kind of trying to match the rest of the project. Yeah, just trying to make them blend in the best they could because they were a bronze to start with. Well, they had, you know, over the last hundred years had had a real natural patina throw this shiny plastic you know, cover on there, they're going to stand out real One quick. of these things is not like the other. <laughs> exactly. So it's just, that raises questions. Well, what are the plans for the future? Um, really just, you know, like I said, the drone thing is kind of the big, the big picture. It's the far out, the take it, take it easy and get it right. Uh, right now it's just doing jobs for people for fabrication name out there and letting people know, hey, if you, you know, I can build whatever you need. So if a uh, customer came to you and, and said, I need a drone built, let's just say it's something fairly simple, not too big, is that something that you would be able to do in the near future, or is that is that something that would be a little bit further out? It's really dependent on what they want it to do. Um, yeah, I can, I've built several drones. I'm, I'm building a bigger one right now what's called more or less just FPV. So you can have goggles and you fly around doing loops and that stuff. First person visual? Yeah, first person view. View, okay. So you, you look through a set of goggles. Um, and I always tell people they're not like the 3D Oculus. It's just a TV screen that you're looking through. That's kind of what I build. But the way they're programmed and 
the software in them. You can make them do whatever you want. Give them commands to do a plethora of things. Finish your flying robot. Yeah, I had a uh, a very small, like, 5-inch by 5-inch drone, little toy drone, that it, it had, and it was real nice that the controller had little things built into it. It could do a barrel roll and could fly up and, and hover and, and all these little things. And I got so good at pressing those buttons. <laughs> but oh, yeah. once I tried to fly around in any sort of way, I'd run into a wall almost straight away. So <laughs> all that stuff fascinates fascinates me. But uh, actually being able to do it myself, I guess I need to get better at some video games or something like that for better hand-eye coordination. Uh, what's the future plans for the manufacturing side? Uh, just like I said, um, I just take it on jobs you know, through larger manufacturers. If they have components they want made, uh, play stands, you know, way we can add to their process or they have. Where uh, we've talked about the uh, the shop, but where is it? We haven't talked about where you're located at. Uh, it's here in Vincent's, Indiana. It's on Old 41 South. It's on the south end of town, just off Willow Street. I always tell people look for Sugar Ray Coffee Co. because it's in the front. So if you want to find the knife shop, back. Brett, and like I said. Uh, any uh, websites or anything that you have? Uh, yeah, you can go to enhanceyourcraft.com, eycdrones.com. That'll get you in contact with me on LinkedIn, Kyle Bledsoe. On Facebook, EYC drones. With uh, going back to uh, something you said earlier, if if you have a uh, a machine that you're putting together, anything you know, here an example, we had a stove that that we brought to you, um, and we're missing just a couple parts. You can manufacture like screws or or anything for that. Yeah, um, yeah, with the turning with the turning capabilities I have. Yeah, if you have, or if you're even restoring something old, and there's a shaft that's rope bent, out of just worn out, and then you cannot find replacement parts for it, you know, we can certainly. Is that something that you would have to have a manual for, or is that something that you can take the piece and measure it and be able to reproduce something that's going to work? You can take. Typically, you can take the piece, measure it, and reproduce it, unless it's like extremely wore out. But if you know what it goes in and what it does, then we can kind of. Re-engineer it. To, to Anything else going on? Uh, as far as like the manufacturing drones, that's it. Um, we always talk about how we have a multi multi business in our location. I got to give a, a small shout out to my son. He actually started a business there too called eBricks. Buys and sells Legos. He Lego components and sets and things. Oh wow! How long has he been doing that? Um, uh, forever. Well, I say forever. He's twelve. Uh, <laughs> Legos, right out of diapers, right? Just Pretty much jumped right yeah, online. Hey, is. I got this Lego set. You can buy my Duplos. I'm moving up to the next um, step. Yeah, he, uh, he, <laughs> he is really good at Legos. He can be talented. The loose components thereof, and I, of course, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Legos as well. But oh, absolutely, me too. I didn't realize when you're trying to build this one thing your own creation and you're looking for just that one one piece uh, 
he, you know, he's he's amassed, and I've kind of helped him along the way, but we've amassed quite the collection. So, hard to find companions and sets. And That's cool. How can you get a hold of that? How you can you get a hold of him and see what he's doing? Uh, right now, you can just come in the shop. Um, he's got his, really, he's just in the very early stages of setting things up. He's going to set up a BrickLink account and BrickAl account. Little businessman. That's cool. A chip off the old block right there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For mom and dad. I mean, we can't forget Sugar Ray's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're all, we're all there, so. Absolutely. Well, that's awesome, Kyle. Thank you for uh, coming in here. This has, been, uh, this has been wonderful. And if you would like to get more information, we will have all of his contact information in the show notes. So check that out. If, uh, if you like what you hear, if you are a business and you want to be on here, just go ahead and contact me. You can send me a message on my Facebook or email me, and uh, I will do everything I can to get any local business on here and find out what you're doing and, and what's going forward. I am Will Peppers for Kyle Bledsoe. Thank you for joining the Peppers Podcast.